as I got to thinking about being at the rescue mission last night and the cantata and the music that was shared, you know, it's, it's really encouraging as you read the Bible and it tells you that his word never returns void. There are there's so many instances where we can, you know, think about how things should have been better, how things could have been better, and what we could have done differently, and things like that. And, and honestly, there are times where even as I'm getting ready to preach, as I'm preparing a certain message over the course of the week, I'm thinking, no one's going to get anything out of this. And even after having preached it, I think, if anyone got anything out of it, it's going to be certainly a miracle. Uh, there are times where I'll wake up on Sunday morning and I'm just not feeling all that well and almost wish I could just hit the snooze and go back to bed and not have to worry about anything. And I've found that those are the instances where the Lord has worked the most. Uh, at times when I've preached a message where I thought, it's not going to be all that great, and, and not to minimalize what God's word has said, but there. there Sometimes you, as I'm preparing for something, I really think this is really going to hit home. They're really going to relate to this, and it's really going to, you know, sink deep. And, and then I feel like the response wasn't as much and as well as what I was anticipating. Not that I'm preaching for a response. But I found that sometimes the messages that I wasn't anticipating going over as well are the ones that are received the best. And I wanted to share that because I don't want anyone to ever get discouraged about whether it's, it's presenting God's truth through song or presenting God's, worth, uh, God's, God's word through personal evangelism or teaching or preaching, and it doesn't go the way you thought it would go. God's word never returns void, and it accomplishes what it sets forth to accomplish. And the miraculous thing of all of it is that he would accomplish things through weak and frail vessels like you and me. None of us are significant. None of us are skilled enough where we've met certain qualifications where God has said, now you can take my word. Now you can preach. Now you can sing it. Now you can bring forth. And when we look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, how it talks about how God used the base things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And, and, and just looking at how it goes against what we would ever choose or what we would ever think would be the means by which God would bring forth his word. God uses situations that we deem as an absolute train wreck. God uses situations that we deem as an absolute catastrophe to sometimes bring forth his best work. And I think God does that to show just how awesome he is and that there is nothing that is limited, that he's limited by. Even if we utterly fall on our face and think that we failed, God's word still goes forth. So don't ever shortchange what you're able to do through God and how, whether it's singing, whether it's teaching, whether it's preaching, whatever it may be, as you're even personally sharing about God and it doesn't go the way you expect it to go. Don't ever underestimate what the Lord can do. His word always goes forth, and, and, and even through vessels like you and me who have all sorts of infirmities, have all sorts of failures and shortcomings, God has still chosen us to be the instruments by which he brings his grace and truth to the world. And while we can look in the mirror and come up with a hundred different reasons each day as to why we 
aren't the proper instrument, God says, I'm just looking for you to be available. I'm not looking for everything to go perfectly according to plan. I'm just looking for you to be that mouthpiece, to be that one who is willing to do it. So don't ever shortchange yourself because it's never you that's going to get the glory. It's going to be the Lord who's going to get it. And if, if he's going to work, he's going to work through people like you and me and praise the Lord for what he's able to accomplish. All right. Turn up me in your Bibles tonight to Isaiah 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Hundreds of years before Christ's birth. We have a prophecy here from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Where we're told about a virgin that shall conceive and a Messiah that will be born. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. In a moment we'll look at some of these verses here. But these are indeed prophetic verses and a prophetic chapter here in Isaiah chapter 7. It was written hundreds of years before Christ ever was born. And these words were spoken to King Ahaz, who found himself in quite a predicament. We're not going to go through all the events of chapter 7 and even previous and what's going to follow, but just kind of fill you in on some of the things that were happening. Ahaz at this time was king of Judah. This was during the, na- the days of the divided kingdom. Uh, he was king of the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, they were divided at this point and basically at each other's throats. Uh, Judah was in the south, Israel was in the north, and two kings had united to wage war against Ahaz in Judah. Syria and Israel had come against Ahaz and Judah and had reached the walls around Jerusalem. They had fully intended to utterly destroy the kingdom of Judah. Ahaz was backed into a corner, and there really wasn't a whole lot that he could do at this point, so he comes up with a plan that's quite ingenious. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly explicitly tell us that this was his plan, but based on some of the things that we see, most historians and most theologians believe that this is indeed what he was thinking. He knows that the armies of Syria and Israel are relying upon water that is stemming from Jerusalem and going out. So he decides that he's going to cut off the water supply to any of those that are beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And he goes out to the conduit of the upper pool where the water is channeled and sent forth beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And he surprisingly is met by the prophet Isaiah. God tells Isaiah specifically where he's going to find King Ahaz. God had spoken to him and said that he's going to be exactly at this spot. And lo and behold, Isaiah is there waiting for Ahaz. And the message that Isaiah delivers to Ahaz is a very welcome message. Isaiah tells him that God has revealed that he will, God will destroy the armies that have come up against Judah. God's message uh, is to not fear, neither to be faint-hearted, because God's judgment is going to come upon Syria and Israel. The threat of invasion, the threat of destruction is now over. Ahaz can breathe a, a huge sigh of relief. He can calm down. Ahaz, though, was not known to be a God-fearing man. And the words from the prophet Isaiah were very challenging words to him, uh, and as he's trying to think about how this can all be so, he doesn't really exercise faith in God. Ahaz planned on cutting off the enemy's water supply and God's prophet shows up and basically tells him, you don't have to do that. I'm going to take care of all of this and it's all going to be handled in a certain way. God is going to destroy the enemies for you. And Ahaz almost looks to the prophet Isaiah as if it's some sort of trick. As if there's some sort of other scheme that he's got going on behind him, working probably with Syria and Israel for his own demise. But then the Lord graciously and very generously offers a sign to prove himself to bolster the faith of King Ahaz. And look at what it says at verse number 11 here in Isaiah chapter 7. 
Verse number 10 first, it says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. God sees how little the faith of Ahaz is, and he offers absolutely anything to prove that his word is true. God says, ask it either in the depth or in the height above. I'll do anything through the earth to show you, Ahaz, that my word is true, that I am going to fulfill to you what the prophet Isaiah specifically told. Ahaz, everything is on the table. You want me to prove that... Uh, you want me to prove through the heavens and through the skies? I'll make it rain drops of gold to convince you. Now, that's my version. But he's basically saying, anything, ask it in the depth or in the height above. Ask me anything. I'll show you any sign that you're looking for to prove that my word is going to come true. I'll make the sun stand still. I'll do whatever you ask me to confirm your faith in my word. Still, Ahaz thinks and, and treats this unbelievable offer as if it is a trick and pretends to have a shred of humility and declares this in verse number 12. But Ahaz, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. There's sometimes when you want to reach through the pages of Scripture and just grab a man by his collar and say, you fool, you never had an ounce of humility before now. Now all of a sudden you're humble. God is speaking to you, offering you anything to prove that he's going to fulfill his word that he has just delivered through the, through the prophet Isaiah. And now you're too good to ask something of God when he's actually throwing it to you on the table? At this point, Isaiah and God are a little frustrated, and they tell Ahaz, since he will not, in obedience, ask God for a sign, God will give him one anyways, but not just any sign, but the sign. Notice what it says in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the context of this passage has caused many commentators to be just all over the place with this verse. When I look at this verse, I see one view rise from all the other views. And that is that this verse speaks so clearly of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. When you look at this verse, I don't see any other possible view that could arise other than to say that Jesus Christ is the one who's spoken of here. It is a miraculous thing that is spoken of here. And it must be that God is doing the one speaking and he's speaking of himself. Never have such words been spoken of any other individual to come or to be born. And never will such a thing ever happen. So as we take a few moments here this evening to take a closer look at this verse, it'll become hopefully crystal clear that these words are speaking of the birth of Christ hundreds of years before his arrival as a baby in the manger in Bethlehem. Notice verse 14 again as we consider, first of all, the details surrounding Christ's birth. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The details concerning Christ's birth. It's really amazing as you consider that Christ was ever born here on earth. That he entered humanity the way that he did. That he chose to be and dwell among us. Christmas is all about celebrating Christ's birthday. And ironically, we celebrate it by giving gifts to one another. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty disappointed and maybe a little upset if my birthday was celebrated with no one giving me attention, no one giving me gifts, everyone gathering together and celebrating everyone else, that wouldn't be a birthday party that I'd really like to attend, especially if it was my own. 
When the angel of the Lord appeared unto the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and declared the good news of the birth of Christ, the shepherds didn't high-five one another and exchange gifts to one another. But notice what they did do. In Luke chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told concerning this child. As soon as they hear about the birth of Christ, they immediately went to go see him. And I want to do the same thing here this evening. I want to take you back to the glorious day when Christ was born and consider some of the details around his birth. Based on what we read here in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, we know that it was a miraculous conception. Again, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's miraculous. It never happens. We're told in Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Mary was a virgin, and Jesus was conceived through the Holy Ghost. Now this is later, it would be confirmed to Joseph when the angel of the Lord appeared, appeared unto him in Matthew 1.20 and told him, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, Jesus was not born of a man, but, but, but the Holy Ghost and the power of the highest overshadowed Virgin Mary, and Jesus stands alone as the only one not born of the seed of a man, but the seed of a woman. This miraculous conception of Christ ensured his perfect and sinless human nature. And in the birth of Christ, we also see a very humble upbringing. As the prophet Isaiah describes Jesus' earthly mother, he describes her as a virgin. When we fast forward all the way into the New Testament, hundreds of years after what's mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 7, and we go all the way to the day that Christ was born, we find that the angels describe the setting and they describe the circumstances surrounding Christ's birth as a very humble setting. The angel spoke to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verses 10 to 12. He says, fear, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. Jesus was born in a very humble way, a, by a humble virgin in a lowly manger, not to a prominent princess in a royal palace. The Savior of the world was born. And when you and I would have thought about how this would have happened, we probably would have thought that he should have been born in the grand halls of the grandest palaces that this world has ever seen. But he's born of a virgin in a secluded little manger with no royal procession to announce his birth. The fact that the shepherds were the first ones on the scene to set eyes on baby Jesus is further evidence of his humble upbringing. Of all the people to be there first, the shepherds were the ones that were there first. Shepherds were among the poorest in the community. Their job was not a sought-after job. No one grew up aspiring to be a shepherd. This wasn't something that little kids dreamed about being. They were viewed in many respects as outcasts, as second-class citizens. And yet God chose them to receive the heavenly announcement from the angel and to be the first ones to see Jesus once he was born. And this is encouraging because God was showing us even in that, even in the announcement that was given to the shepherds that he came to be the savior of everyone, came to be the savior even of those who were essentially outcasts and second-class citizens. His earthly mother is also known in prominent, known in prominence in their society. 
The first visitors are the ones that no one would take notice of. Even the place of his birth seemed insignificant. There was nothing, nothing at all really great and significant about Bethlehem. Bethlehem was nothing more than a poor and a despised little village. And out of this poor and despised little village, Jesus was born not in the governor's mansion, but in a little manger where no one called home except maybe some sheep and oxen. And this is where the Savior of the world was born and most likely rested his head upon the hay that was used for the animals. The God of the universe stepped down from the glories of heaven to earth, enters the realm of humanity, and this is the setting that we read. This is the setting that he is laid in. When the world should have rejoiced with endless praise and endless celebration, no one is around to see him born. In fact, the shepherds needed to be told where to find him. It wasn't as if they knew because everyone had been expecting this or everyone was looking forward to this happening in Bethlehem. They had to be told where to find him because even the outcasts of society had better accommodations than Jesus. It's absolutely incredible to consider how much Christ humbled himself when he became a baby on that glorious day and was born. He literally was born clothed in humility. And what was the purpose of such a humble birth? To show that Christ came to be the Savior of the world, of everyone who comes to faith in him. Not just the rich, not just the noble, not just the prominent, not just the well-groomed, not just the well-polished, not just the well-respected, but he came to be the Savior of even the poorest and the most humblest of, of creatures. In every aspect of Christ's birth, he was showing the world that he would indeed be, as um, Isaiah 7, 14 tells us, and also Matthew 1, 23, God with us. That name Emmanuel literally means God with us. Matthew tells us which being interpreted is God with us. Isaiah 4, 7, 14 just gives us the name. But in every way, he was showing to us that he was indeed God with us. With all the humility surrounding Christ's birth, we cannot forget that his birthday was also glorious. Who else can state that their birthday was prophesied hundreds of years and thousands of years prior other than Jesus? Who else had numerous individuals writing about their birth? Whose name is given so much attention and written about as often as Jesus? When was the last time that God put a star up in the sky to announce the birth of someone? Prominent men and women will come and go, but there will never be such work and consideration as was done in the case of Christ. When was the last time that angels came down to earth to deliver the announcement of the birth of anyone? When was the last time that a heavenly chorus proudly declared someone's birth? Besides when Jesus was born and when I was born, when has that happened? I was kidding, of course. But when was the last time that kings came and showed up and offered gifts to a little baby that was born? As humble as Christ's birth was, it was incredible. Great men and women have come and gone, and there have never been, never will be, such anticipation, excitement, writings, prophecy, or any other wonder that was associated with the birth of Christ. And again, he's born in such a humble state. As we've looked at some of the details surrounding Christ's birth, I want us to look at the name of Christ. Look again at what it says here in Isaiah 7:14. And therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus is known in Scripture by many names, and there is no other name greater than Jesus' name. 
There's no other name worth mentioning or speaking of other than the name of Christ. In Matthew 123, a nearly identical verse to what it says here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, but it adds something at the very end. The meaning of the wonderful name of Jesus, the name Emmanuel. In Matthew 123, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Names used to be chosen specifically for their meaning. The name Emmanuel would not be necessarily the name that he would be known by or the name that he would be called, but the name Emmanuel described what he would be, God with us. The meaning of this name is what gives us joy and really what gives us a reason to celebrate at all. Three simple words bring such hope and comfort and peace and rejoicing to everyone who hears them. God with us. Three simple words that can never possibly be said enough. God with us. It was in the message of the angel delivered unto the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What the angel was telling the shepherds, God is with you. God has come to be your Savior. The Savior was born unto them because God was showing all of humanity that he's not a God far off, but that he is a God who is with us. And as a result of this glorious truth, the heavenly host of angels were able to praise God and say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Three simple words that maybe don't cross our minds that often, don't cross our minds nearly enough, but three simple words that speak a profound truth, offering eternal hope and peace. These are the words that we need to share this Christmas. These are the words that the world needs to hear this Christmas. This is the truth that so many people have searched for, but few have found. These are the words that Jesus came to make known to the entire world that we have a God who is desiring to be with us. This is his name, God with us. God is with us as he was born in the city of David here on this earth. He entered humanity being conceived by the Holy Spirit, carried by the Virgin Mary, delivered nine months later. He is God with us as he was laid in a manger there in Bethlehem, as he was first visited by the shepherds. He is God with us as he grew into a man, as he walked this earth, as he worked on this earth, and as he lived and dwelled here on this earth among those whom he created. He who has always existed from everlasting to everlasting, stepped down from heaven onto the earth that, it, that he created, actually occupied space here on this planet. In the land of Israel, you can go there today. You can see where Jesus has been. You can bend to places he's visited. You can walk the very ground in which he walked. You can sail the seas upon which he sailed. All the places exist because they're all real. And Jesus was really there. The Bible is not full of fairy tale stories that are made up people visiting made up lands. You can visit Bethlehem today and you can see where exactly it is that Jesus entered humanity. Anyone been there? What would you consider as far as your description of it? Was it an exciting place, a very touristy place to go and visit? If you looked at it now, would you think, yes, of course, if I thought of the perfect location for Christ to be born, this would be it. Any of you think that? That I've been there? Anyone going to answer me? Am I talking to myself? No? No? You didn't go. You just raised your hand saying that you've been there. 
You saw it from afar. Wow. Well, fortunately, God just didn't look at us from afar, but came to be God with us. Okay. Thank you for all convincing me that you've been there when you really haven't. All right. Let's talk about what the Bible has to say about lying now. No. Bethlehem is, is not really the place that we would think that this is where the Savior would be born. This is where the God of the universe would enter creation. And yet this is where he came. He stepped down onto this earth. He occupied time and space. And he dwelt among men. He lived here on this earth. And it's really incredible because these places actually exist. Whether you go there or you see them from afar, you can still verify that they're actual locations, that they're real. Uh, you did all visit places, though, that you know Jesus was. So other than just seeing them from afar, there were certain locations. So we'll give you a pass on that one. Okay, so you're justifying your lie is what it is. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. We'll talk about that, Bob. But there are, there are places that you can actually go. There are just all of these places that the Bible speaks about, which for so many of us, when we're not able to necessarily go over there, they can almost be viewed as, as fairy tale lands and then places that we read about in fictional stories that think, wow, wouldn't this be cool if we, if we could actually you know, have these places be real and go and visit them? And the truth is that you can because all of these situations and all of these places that Jesus visited in the New Testament were actual locations and actually exist today. And what an encouragement it is to know that you can make the Bible essentially come to life by going and visiting these places for yourself. You can go upon the Mount of Olives where Jesus taught so many valuable lessons. And there are countless places to visit where we are certain Jesus has been because he truly is God who is with us. He walked, he talked, he lived on this earth as certain as you and I are walking, are talking, and living on it today. It is sometimes hard to imagine, though, because it happened so many years before our time in a place that is nearly halfway across the world from where we are. But the stories of the Bible are absolutely true. God entered humanity those many years ago as a baby born in Bethlehem. He was showing the world that he is God with us, not God far away from us. But much more than being just a God geographically with us here on this planet. Because of what Jesus came and accomplished, he is God with us in a so much bigger sense. Jesus is more than just a historical figure that lived many years ago in a distant land and made a, a huge impact on humanity. Jesus is more than uh, someone that we may read about in history books like a Christopher Columbus or an Alexander the Great or Napoleon Bonaparte or any other conqueror or adventurer or prominent figure in history, good or bad. Jesus did more than just live on this earth and contribute to society in some capacity. He came to be God with us, not just God with us here on earth, but God with us in our hearts. His purpose was so much more than just living out a few years here on this earth. His purpose was to impact humanity for the rest of eternity. He came to go, across, go to the cross on our behalf, bearing the full weight of all of our sin upon his own shoulders and offering himself as the atonement for our sin before God. He came to make a way for mankind to be reconciled with God. He came to make a way for man to have access to heaven. He came to make a way for man to be freed from the power and the bondage of sin. He came to make a way for man to live in peace because he is the way. In him, we can be reconciled with God. In him, we finally have access to heaven. In him, we can be freed from the power and the bondage of sin. In Christ, we can live in peace. 
He came to be our way because he came to be God with us, God in our hearts. When we believe on him, we really find out what it is to have God with us. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, Ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When we come before Jesus and we're trusting in the finished work of all that he's done, all that he's done for our sin, making atonement for it, dying on the cross, burying it in the tomb, and then rising victoriously from the grave, conquering all of it, he becomes God with us eternally as we trust in him. There is comfort, there is peace, there is relief, there is joy, there is everlasting, um, ever, everlasting peace that he gives us. A whole host of emotions that come as a result of Jesus being God with you. You may be going through a difficult time right now uh, where oppression seems to be striking from all around. He is still God with you and you can still be comfortable because he has promised to hold you securely in the palm of his hand against all oppression, against every attempt that the devil may be bringing against you to try and pull you down. You may have doubts and fears that fill your mind from time to time or all the time. He is still God with you and you can be at peace when you turn to him in prayer. But we're told in Philippians chapter 4 in verses 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You may go through seasons where you feel all alone where you feel as if everything is stacked up against you and you've been discarded, you've been left to be just by yourself. Rest assured and be relieved that our Savior is God with us and has promised to never leave us nor forsake us even if everyone else has cast us aside. He is God with us in every sense. He is our provider. He is our protector. He is our sustainer. He is our Savior. He's God with us because if you know him personally as your Savior, he is everything to us. You can be in the middle of a desert where nothing grows and you can still find comfort in knowing that even there, God is still with you. You can be out at sea with a mighty tempest raging against a ship and the waves crashing violently against the ship and you can still be at peace knowing that God is with you. The same God who walked upon the Sea of Galilee, the same God who rebuked the wind and the waves and brought peace to those violent seas is the same God who is with you today if you know him personally as your Savior. There is no height, there is no depth that we as children of God can go where we cannot still say that God is with us. For us to know this name personally, we must know it through the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that we're actually connected with Christ. It is through the Holy Spirit that we're able to say God with us. It is the Holy Spirit that we have living within us the very moment that we accept Christ. And he is with us until he brings us into our everlasting and our eternal home. Once you're his, you're his forever. Once you're his, he becomes God with you forever. There's no greater truth to know than God with you every single moment of every single day. So as we approach Christmas here in a few short days, there's no greater joy to know than that God is with you personally. Far and above all the presents that you might give or you might receive, far and above all the entertainment that you might enjoy, far and above the delicious food that you might eat, far and above everything that you're going to do to celebrate Christmas this year. The greatest and most lasting joys are experienced through knowing that God is with you personally. What is the point of celebrating if we are not celebrating God with us? As often as your door may open and people may come into your home, does it really mean anything as you're celebrating, enjoying some Christmas cookies and delicious food if God isn't with you? 
If the love in your hearts this Christmas is not on the fact that we have God with us, then our love is misplaced. May we not forget amid our Christmas traditions and celebrations that the true joy of Christmas is that we indeed have God with us. Maybe take time to remind yourself this Christmas of what it means for you personally to have God with you. Remind yourself of how God has been with you this past year. Throughout all the ups and downs, the trials, the tribulations, the good times, by the Holy Spirit's comforting influence, remind yourself about who he is and how he's been with you. Remind yourself how God has been with you, increasing in your knowledge of his word as the Holy Spirit has revealed to you greater truths as you've studied his word more. Remind yourself how God has been with you as the Holy Spirit brings about conviction to your heart. Remind yourself how God has brought peace to your life through the Holy Spirit in the midst of all the chaos that may be around you. Take time this Christmas to consider all the ways that Jesus has proved himself to be Emmanuel in your life. God with you. Look once more at Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What a glorious name and a glorious truth that we have God with us. If this were the only thing that we received this Christmas, it would be the most joyous Christmas. If no presents were exchanged, received, or given, no parties were attended, if you have God with you and really understood what it meant to have God with you, you will feel richer and more blessed than anyone ever before. My words can never paint a clear enough picture to fully encapsulate all that is described by these three simple words, God with us. You have to experience it for yourself. The greatest authors have tried writing about it and have failed to fully detail the greatness of God with us. Scientists can research and study their entire lives and catch only a glimpse of the fullness of God with us. It is at the sound of these three, three simple words, God with us, that Satan trembles. He may try to even bring his legions against you. And all you have to do is whisper to him and remind him that God is still with you. He is sent back. God with us is the strength for the one who labors for Christ. God with us is the courage and the boldness for the one who preaches the gospel. God with us is the confidence for the one who bows his head and bends his knee in prayer. What would we be without God with us? It is more than words on a page and what can ever be observed even in the world around us. It is God living within us because it is God with us. God with us is the shout of the glorified, it is the shout of the redeemed, and it is the chorus of the heavenly angels. God with us is what makes our Christmas a Merry Christmas. And I truly hope that we all have a Merry Christmas. As we celebrate in our homes later on this week, whatever your own Christmas traditions may be, please don't forget that what makes Christmas merry is knowing that you personally have God with you. You'll never be among anyone else who will bring joy and peace and comfort and hope and love like Jesus. As you give and receive gifts and you celebrate in your own way, please don't forget that we're celebrating Christ's birthday as well. If you have God with you, don't celebrate Christmas as if you don't have God with you. Celebrate. Have a grand celebration. Have a wonderful feast. Don't be ashamed to sing praises and share of the God, though, who is with you and desires to be with all of us. As you feast, as you celebrate, as you give gifts and do those things. But remind yourself that there was a baby that was born in Bethlehem 
who is God with us. And let him have a place in our hearts and in our Christmas celebrations this year as well. Give God the glory this Christmas as we consider that he came to be with us personally and forever. May it truly be a very Merry Christmas for us all because God is with us and because God is worshipped and celebrated in our homes. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we indeed can say that you are with us. Thank you for being a personal God. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to send us your only begotten Son. Lord, we know that we don't always live like you are with us. Lord, at times we live as if we can't even see that you're there. And Lord, that's not because you have deserted us or forsaken us. But Lord, it's because we've taken our eyes off of you. I pray that that not be the case as we celebrate Christmas later on this week. Lord, I pray that we would understand that you are with us as believers. You're with us every moment of every day. And Lord, you are the one who is sustaining us from day to day. May you be the focal point of all of our celebrations. Lord, as we, as we celebrate in our own ways, as we exchange gifts, Lord, and, and gather together with friends and family, Lord, and enjoy food and, and just different celebrations, Lord, may you have a place in all of our celebrations as well. We're so thankful that you are indeed God with us, that we can say that confidently knowing that we put our faith and trust in you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending us your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.